You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. All right, turn to Romans chapter 13. Buckle your seatbelt. I'm hitting fifth gear right now and we're taking off. Here we go. In our last session, we covered the previous chapter and I just want to remind everybody, and even if you're joining us for the first time, we've been discussing the vertical, now we're in the horizontal. We're talking about our relationships one with another, people to people. So in the last chapter, we we really talked a lot about just practical Christian living. Um, We talked about uh, three different areas. One, there has to be a consecration, in other words, a setting apart of your life unto God. You're different, amen? You're set apart. You know, like when I got saved, I got saved to the bone, right? I, I met, tried to tell people I met the real Jesus and my life was consecrated unto him. So things change. That consecration leads you to transformation. Your heart changes, your lifestyle changes, the way you think, the way you live. Everything that you do takes on a, this incredible transformation, And I often question people who haven't had an incredible transformation if they actually met the same Jesus that I met. Because the Jesus that I met absolutely changed my life, totally. And that's what Jesus and an encounter with him is meant to do. It's meant to change your life. And then as a result of this transformation that takes place in you, then you have to have this proper evaluation of yourself, okay? as you look at your life. And that may mean getting rid of some sin in your life, making some changes in your life, bringing in some things maybe that you've been missing. And then, you know, as we move into that, then we are at a place where we become mature enough that we can begin to use some of our gifts that God has given us. And those gifts are given for the service of the church. So God gives us these gifts so that we can be a blessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? So we're not to be exclusive, in church. That's not what we're meant to be. It's not us two and not you or us four and no more, right? That's not, that's not the way we're supposed to be. We're to embrace all people, even people who are not like us, people who are different from us. They have different personalities. They have different hobbies. They have different tastes. Now, once again, I'm not saying that, that you're going to be their best friend and hang out with them all the time. That's a totally different thing, Okay. But I'm talking about our service to one another and our connection to one another within the body of Christ. You know, we are to be a blessing to everybody in the church. We're to be civil to everybody in the church. We're to to reach out and let people see Jesus in us. So that's what we talked about in the last one. So we're going to start in chapter 13. Let's just read this together. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Do what's right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants. That's interesting. We're going to talk about that later. God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them 
not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Then he goes into talking about taxes. Pay your taxes too for the same reason. Government workers need to be paid. They're serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Then he kind of makes a shift here and he begins to talk about more of our uh, relationships one with another again. Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If, you're lo- if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time's running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in darkness of wild parties drunkenness, in sexual promiscuity, and immoral living, or in quarreling, and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge evil desires. Amen? Amen. We can close right there, and I'm done. Let's all go work on that this week. That's a lot of work. <laughs> that was a, there was a lot said. So let's get into this. Jesus was the one who opened up this discussion in Mark chapter 11, um, Mark chapter 12, right around verse 17. And, and you know, he's talking about uh, pay, paying your taxes, making sure you pay your taxes. And they were trying to, you know, trap Jesus in this conversation. So it kind of goes like this. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and he said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin. Well, they showed him a coin. I'm sure Jesus grabbed it and took it up. And he says, and I'll tell you. So they handed it to him and he said, whose picture is stamped on it? Well, then it's, it's Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said, give to Caesar what belonged to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. So on this occasion, Jesus was asked whether it was right to pay taxes that were required by civil government, okay? And this is what we're focusing on right now, civil authority, civil government. Jesus made it very clear that we do have an obligation to civil government as a church member. It's very important that we understand this. See, the the church, I think, oftentimes can be so church-minded that we fail to get involved with political issues. This is why I was commending our lead pastor for talking about political issues within a church because I've heard people get very upset at pastors that talk about political issues within the church. Well, Jesus talked about it. More than one occasion, Jesus talked about it. Right here, not only is Jesus talking about money, he's talking about civil government and he's talking about paying taxes all in one conversation. So I said that, like I said, I think the church can be so church-minded that we fail to get involved with political issues uh, as if they're separate. They're not separate. Now think about it. 
the, the facts are government can really affect the ways that we are able to function as a church in big time. I mean, look at China. Look at other countries. They can't even hold church. It's underground. It's done in secret. They can't even have Bibles. So government can really uh, affect that. So in this session, we're not going to be talking about government involvement or church involvement in government. What we're going to be talking about is subjection and submission to, to civil government or civil authority. So let's start in verse 1 and 2. We're going to get these principles involved here. Verse 1, submit or subjection. That's the word that is used here. Submission means to place oneself under. In other words, we are obligated from Scripture as a believer to submit to authority. Now, this section of Romans is very, very important because, and it really is incredible. You know, if if you read this, it's like it was written a couple thousand years ago, but it is so relevant right now, especially in the current temperature of culture, and we have so many people rebelling against civil authority at this time. Now, I want to look at the circumstances which make this discussion very important then and what makes it important now. So let's just look at a few things, and we're going to look at then and the Jewish people. The Christian religion was designed to extend throughout the whole world. I mean, Jesus gave the disciples a commandment in Matthew 28, 8, 18, go into what? All the world. So it's supposed to extend throughout the world. And it contemplated God's kingdom amid other kingdoms, an empire among other empires. So Christians professed supreme allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was their king, their leader. He was the lawgiver. He was sovereign. He was their judge. And it became, therefore, a question of great importance and difficulty for those Jewish Christians and Greek Christians, what kind of allegiance were they to render to earthly magistrates or earthly authority? So the kingdoms of the world at that time were pagan kingdoms. Laws were made by pagans. They were adopted uh, to be you know, by by basically paganism and pagan people. Those kingdoms had been generally founded on conquest, on blood, uh, on oppression. Many of the monarchs were blood-stained warriors that were leading these governments at that time. They were unprincipled men. They were polluted in private and oppressive in their public character. And whether Christians were to acknowledge the laws of such kingdoms in such men um, was a very serious question that they had at that time. Soon the hands of these magistrates were being raised against Christians. Christians were going through all kinds of persecution, uh, intense persecution. And so the duty and the extent of submission to them became a matter of very serious inquiry to Christians at that time. Many of the early Christians were composed of Jewish converts Yet the Jews had long been under Roman oppression. They, they did not get along with the Romans. They did not have a good relationship with the Roman authorities. The whole pagan mag- magistry they regarded as founded in the system of idolatry. They looked at Rome and what they were doing. That's all idolatry. And everything that they've set in pl- place is under idolatry. is in direct opposition of God's kingdom. And it was an abomination to them, you know, all having all these other gods. That was an abomination to the Jewish people. So how far should they submit, if at all, to heathen magistrates 
was a question of deep interest. And there was a danger that the Jewish converts might prove to become very disorderly toward those governments at that time and become rebellious citizens of the empire that was in control at that time uh, in the history. So it wasn't much different with the Gentile converts. Um, They would naturally look with disdain on a system of idolatry because that's what they had come out of and that's what they had forsaken. They were turning their back on idolatry. They would regard all of that as being opposed to God. They would denounce the religion of those pagan practices as being an abomination before the Lord. And as that religion was interwoven with civil instructions, I mean, there was a danger that even the Greeks might denounce government altogether and just disregard the laws of the land. We don't have to submit to the Roman authorities. These people are pagan. Why should we submit to them? So there were cases where it was right to resist the law. It was right to resist it. And this is what the Christian religion clearly taught. In cases like these, it was crucial for Christians to take a stand. When the laws interfered with rights of conscience, a Christian was to take a stand. When they commanded the worship of idols, when any moral wrong was being done, then it was their duty to refuse submission to what they were being told to do. Yet, in what cases was this to be done? See, where was the line to be drawn? was the question of deep importance, and, and it wasn't easily settled, and it still isn't today. Uh, it's, it's quite probable, however, that the main danger was that the early Christians would err in refusing submission at all, um, and that would not be proper. So, so the principles on which Christians should act are settled in this chapter, and this is what we're going to be looking at. It's a very important chapter for our day and time, like I said, with all the unrest that we have going on towards civil authority, defunding civil authority, and, and, and for some groups, the outright rebelling against any established civil authority at all. So we're going to learn how a Christian should respond. All right, so the Bible says everyone must submit to civil authority. That's what it says. So the, as we look at this, it says what yours may say governing authorities Mine says civil authorities, that power to be submitted to, that's a broad phrase. Governing authorities, civil authorities, that's a broad phrase, okay? That phrase is broad enough to include authorities at home, on the job, church, and in government, because it's civil authorities, okay? So it's a broad term. So the fact is, guys, we're always under some kind of authority. Everybody is at all times. Your whole life, you're under some kind of authority. Guess what? Jesus is under authority. He's the son of God. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and he's under authority. As a matter of fact, it says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant, and because he humbled himself in submission to the Father, it says God exalted him and gave him the name above all names. So even within the hierarchy of heaven, there is a submission to authority. Can I have an amen? And Paul even told slaves to obey their masters in Titus chapter 2. Paul told slaves to obey their masters in Titus chapter 2. However, it's obvious that Paul's context here, he's talking about civil government. So governing authorities should be taken in that context. So I I think the attitude that we are to manifest to the world, that the world should see from Christians, is that we submit 
to civil authorities, to government. We come in subjection to that. Like I said earlier, that meant to place oneself under. So that word denotes that kind of submission, like kind of like a soldier renders to an officer, okay? They, they come under an officer. Any of y'all in the military, you know what I'm talking about. You surrender to that, to that officer. Why? What reason should be considered here? Well, the second part of verse one says, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained by God. So the reason that Paul gives here is the fact that God is behind their authority. The reason that we submit to authority is because God is behind their authority. In other words, there is no power, there is no office, there is no magistracy, there's no civil rule except by God. That's what the scripture teaches us. So by God's permission, by God's appointment, by the arrangement of God's providence, those offices have their power and they hold their power, okay? God often claims and asserts that he sets up one and he puts down another. You can read that in Psalm 75. You can read that in Daniel chapter 2. You can read that in Daniel chapter 4. I mean, it, it's all through the book of Daniel we see God talking about this. He, he establishes, he lifts up, and he tears down. So what about people in positions of authority? It's all civil authorities that exist. That's what he's talking about. Those in positions of authority. That's all civil authority that exists. Those who have rule over nations by whatever means um, they may have obtained it. Whatever means they may have attained it. That's what he's saying. And this is equally true at all times that the powers that exist, exist by the permission and providence of God. That's what the scripture is showing us. Now, that doesn't mean that God, that, that he originates it or he causes um, evil leaders to take positions of authority. That's not what it's saying. You know, so God established that evil leader? No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that God directs, God controls, God is overseeing their appointments as a position of authority, okay? Doesn't mean or imply that he approves of their conduct if they're breaking the law or they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing uh, or that they always do what's right because we obviously know we're all imperfect and we're not always going to do what's right. Not even a good-hearted leader with great character is always going to do what's right. But it is our duty to submit to them. Now, I want to read an excerpt to you from Barnes' commentary on this subject, just because I think it's really, really good. It says, their requirements may be opposed to the law of God, and then we are to obey God rather than man. And an example was Acts chapter 4 and 5. But it is meant that the power is entrusted to them by God and that he has the authority to remove them when he pleases. If they abuse their power, however, they do it at their own peril. And when so abused, the obligation to obey them ceases. That this is the case as apparent further from the nature of the question, which would likely rise among early Christians. It could not be and never was a question whether they should obey a magistrate when he commanded a thing that was plainly contrary to the law of God. But the question was whether they should obey a pagan magistrate at all. The question with the apostle 
answers in the affirmative because God had made government necessary and because it was arranged and ordered by his providence. Probably also the apostle had another object in view. At the time in which he wrote this epistle, the Roman Empire was agitated with civil dissension. And it goes on to say that in that agitation that was taking place that you know, a throne may have been usurped by them and taken wrongly by them. For example, Claudius was put to death by poison. Nero was a tyrant. And in, in the midst of these allegations and crimes and revolutions, the apostles wished to guard Christians from taking an active part in political affairs. So I thought that was a really good quote uh, out of Barnes' commentary. Verse 2 says, so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. So Christians should not resist civil government because the scripture condemns it. Now there's two reasons that it gives us here. One, rebelling against civil authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. That's what it says. So the concept was given in the last verse. God sets up all authority, resisting civil authority would be resisting what God has set up. Therefore, you would be resisting God, basically what you would be doing. And once again, it's implied that those laws shall not be such that violate the rights of conscience. I'm not talking about obeying somebody. Like if you're a young person in here and, and some adult asks you to do something or some leader asks you to do something that goes against God's word or goes against God's law, you're not subject to follow that. That's a matter of conscience and a matter of morals that you need to follow what God says. <clears throat> so we see this here. Secondly, rebelling against civil authority leads to punishment. And this is another reason that we need to o obey civil government. I mean, we'll be punished. If you don't obey, you will be punished. And, and I understand that not all authority is good, not all authority is fair, and not all authority is godly. I mean, we see this going on right now, and this is a source of a lot of contention with a lot of people. But the vast majority of the time, if we submit, we'll be fine. See, just because a handful of authority is corrupt doesn't mean we defund or get rid of authority. That's foolishness. Once again, we have a biblical guide on character and how we are to live how we are to treat authority, and how we are to treat one another. So the way that we respond to authority, we go to the word and say, okay, how does the Bible tell me I'm supposed to treat authority? How, how does the Bible tell me I'm supposed to treat people? What kind of example did Jesus give? That would be the example that we would all follow. Can I have an amen? So the thing that we have to understand is someone is going to be an authority, Someone's going to be in authority. And I would much rather it be people who are trained and are government officials than I would it be a self-appointed posse or a group of people with their own agenda with no training. And this is what people fail to see, but they don't understand what the Bible teaches about authority and how authority is established by God. All right, so what power do they have? Civil, civil government, what power do they have? Verse three and four. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Then do what's right. They'll honor you. 
The authorities are, listen to this, the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you. They're God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do wrong. So verse three and four show us the specific power that these leaders have. All right, so let's just look at four things here that I picked up on pretty quickly. Number one, who needs to fear civil authority? Who needs to fear them? People who are doing wrong. That's who needs to fear them. Not those who do good, the scripture says, but those who do evil. I don't have any fear of civil authority unless I'm doing wrong. I'm fine. I'm not worried about getting a speeding ticket if I'm following the speed limit. When I get concerned is when I go over the speed limit, right? Now I'm not submitting to civil authority. So speeding, you know, why does your heart jump when a policeman passes by you, when you're going, he's coming the opposite direction and you're going over the speed limit, why does your heart jump? But it doesn't jump when you're under the speed limit or going the speed limit, you're fine, right? We all get that. The second thing here, Paul gives us a solution to that fear. Once again, don't speed. (laughs) You know, I love the the TV series Law and Order. Do y'all, anybody like that? I love Law and Order. I mean, it's old and it's been around forever, but there's a reason that it is because it's just really, really good. But I always think if the police came to my door and they wanted to collect my DNA, I would freely give it to them. I wouldn't have anything to be afraid of. I hadn't murdered anybody. I hadn't stole anything. I haven't done anything wrong, so I'm not really concerned about that. The next thing, the third thing, civil rulers are in an office as a minister of God. This is very interesting. Verse four says this two different times, that they are servants of God. They are ministers of God. Paul is saying that every civil ruler is a servant of God in a sense that they occupy a place that God has ordained as necessary for the government of men. So I'm not going to disrespect a police officer. He is a minister of God. Me cussing a police officer would be just like me walking up to our lead pastor and cussing him as a minister of God. See, we don't get this. If, if, if people would read their Bible and they would take a little bit of time to study, they would pick up on this and they would see, wait a minute, these people are, they're in God's position. They're ministers of God. I mean, I go and appraise my property. I don't talk rude to that lady. She's just doing her job. I'm not gonna treat her in a wrong way. I go up here to renew my driver's license or whatever and the line's long. I'm not gonna treat them ugly. They're doing their job. I'm not gonna rob Uh, our government of not paying my taxes. That's how we have government and all that we have that we do. I mean, it's very important that we do that. And the Bible's showing us this. And the fourth thing that I picked up on, civil, civil rulers have the right to punish. The Bible says that they are sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do wrong. Or rulers, one translation says they don't bear the sword for nothing. They don't bear the sword for nothing. The sword was an instrument of punishment as well as an emblem of war. And so, you know, you'd have those soldiers walking around, they'd have that sword on. Well, that's kind of like having the badge, right? That's basically the same thing. I'm in charge here. Be careful. You know, don't make me pull this sword out and use it against you. So the, the meaning of the apostles, not, you know, 
not that he doesn't wear a, a, a badge, but they're in a position of authority there, okay? So the authority is good authority or the authority is bad authority, but there's still authority. Okay, so how many of you guys play basketball? You've ever had a ref make a bad call? Yep. Is he still the ref? Is he still in charge? Can he deject you from the game? All the above. So what do you do? Submit. Now, if he were to come up to you and tell you, here, take this knife and go stab this person, then you would say, I'm not submitting to that. That is morally wrong. That goes against Scripture. I'm not, going, I'm not even required by God to submit to that. That's an extreme example, but I think it makes a good point. So verse 5 talks about reasons that we should submit. Punishment's sake and for conscience sake. Those are the two reasons you submit. You don't want to get in trouble and you want to keep your conscience clear. And both of those are very important. All right, verse 6 and 7 talks about paying taxes. Same thing. This is why you pay taxes. The authorities are God's servants. They give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, respect. If honor, honor. So these verses contain positive conclusions about our duties towards civil, uh, civil rulers. The, this phrase, this is why, means that what follows is based on the principles explained in verse five. So we can just summarize this. Verse six, you're helping them as ministers, because that's what they are. They're ministers that God put in that position. So they're employed full-time. Therefore, we pay our taxes to support them and what they're doing. Then verse seven, it says, as Christians, we're called to fulfill our obligations. If you owe taxes, what do you do? Pay them. You don't, you don't sneak around, you don't cheat, you don't avoid them. You, as a Christian, your responsibility is pay them. As painful as it is, and I get it, I got some taxes I'm about to have to pay right now, and I, the last thing I want to do is pay them. But I'm going to pay them for fear of punishment and conscience sake. I don't want to go to jail, and I don't want to be on the front page of the newspaper or on Facebook saying that local pastor went to jail because he avoided paying his taxes. And then secondly, I want to honor God with my life and I want to do what is right and what God has told me to do because in the end, I want to hear God say what? Well done, good and faithful tax-paying servant of mine. (laughs) And Jesus told people to pay taxes too to a government that they did not agree with. Jesus said that. And then he goes on to say, if you owe respect, give respect, honor, give honor. We're, as believers, we are to fulfill our obligations. That's what we're supposed to do. All right, the second half of this chapter, verses 8 through 14, are broken up into two sections. Um, talks about the debt of Christian love, and it talks about watching over your Christian life. Now, I've got about two minutes to do this part. So I'm going to go through this uh, really, really quick. So Paul talks about uh, living as if you were living in the day, living in the daytime, not in the nighttime. Deeds done during the day are those that we don't mind others seeing. 
Amen? And therefore, the Bible says that is how you ought to live your life all the time. In public and in private, you as a believer live your life in such a way that you're living as if it is daytime. I mean, you go by a club, all the windows are darkened out, you can't see in there, you can't see out of there. They, that's darkness, okay? And, and that really, that's just a counterfeit to the church is all that is. And as a matter of fact, you, what do you go to a bar for? Fellowship. You walk up to the counter, the, the, the pastor is there, and he's ministering spirits to everyone, and you drink the spirits, and you're filled with the spirit, and you have fellowship in darkness, not light. So that the, all the bar is is a counterfeit to the church. The devil's got a counterfeit for everything that God does. So Paul says, let us behave, verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime. See, we are to be concerned. Now, this is important, and all of us need to understand this. We are to be concerned about what others see us doing because we are an example of the day, not the night. That's so important. And this is just another testimony of our love. We love people, therefore we're going to do right by people, therefore we're going to set a good example for people to follow, an example that will encourage people. And then in verse 14, we're going to wrap up. Verse 14 gives a solution for these fleshly and worldly things that he talked about in the last few verses of this chapter. He said, instead of all these fleshly, dark, worldly things, here's what you do. Clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself, listen to this, don't let yourself think about ways to indulge evil desires. Well, Paul just can't help myself. Well, if you couldn't help yourself, the Bible never would have commanded you to help yourself, right? We are born again. We have Jesus living inside of us. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. The scripture says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So guess what? I'm in charge and I call the shots and I have conversations with Paul. And I say, Paul, you're going to be nice. Paul, you're not going to act like that. Paul, get in a better attitude. You know, I have to wait. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm in a bad mood. Right when I get up, I'm in a bad mood. I hadn't had any coffee. I'm still sleepy. I don't want to get up. I don't want anybody to talk to me. And I have to give myself a pep talk. But literally what I'm doing, just like when I'm putting all my clothes on, which is a good thing, it says, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm just like, okay, I got to put on a good attitude today. I got to put on love today. I got to put on patience today. I've got to put on setting a good example today. I've got to put on living morally right. I'm clothing myself in that. And I don't let myself think of ways to indulge my flesh. When that flaming arrow comes, and we know they all do, guess what? I arrest that thought. I'm not thinking on that. That's not going to take me where I want to go. That's not going to produce the righteous life that God has for me. So I arrest that thought. Mm -mm, That's not running through my brain. That's going to take me in the wrong direction. So I just don't allow myself 
to indulge in that. When I'm scrolling through, something pops up on Instagram, not allowing myself to indulge in that. When I get that email, delete, not allowing myself to indulge in that. That keeps us living in the day, not in the night. See, when we lose ourselves in Christ, his attitudes become our attitudes. His desires become our desires. And Paul means that we should take on the character and the habits of Jesus so that we can be people who show the love of God to everyone that we encounter. Amen? Amen. Well, we did it. Stand with me. Fast and furious. Father, we thank you for your hand on our life. Lord, help us as we are connected correctly with you vertically. Lord, help us to connect in the right way with our brothers and sisters and the people that we encounter every day horizontally. Lord, go before us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.